Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. The book we're going to be talking about tonight is Liar by Rob Roberge. A little bit about the author. Rob Roberge is the author of four books of fiction. Fission? Fission. 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 This is the hunting and, hunting hunting and, fishing. and fisting podcast. <laughs> Rob Roberge is the author of four books of fiction, most recently The Cost of Living. He teaches creative writing and his work has been widely anthologized. He also plays guitar and sings with the Los Angeles-based band The Urinals. What a great name for a band. You and know what every bar has. What's that? You know what every bar has. A urinal. I'm guessing a urinal, yeah. Then good music, too. Yes, yes, good music. Um, have you listened to a lot of The Urinals? Um, I, I I listened to a bunch of it back when we were reading Cost of Living and getting ready to yeah. interview yep. Rob, but I honestly don't listen. I almost never listen to music at all. So, well, from what I know of you, when you listen to music, it's not any good anyway. So, Ooh, wow. So. Well, just because I don't listen to Hall and Oates and fucking Rick Springfield all the time. <sighs> Rick Springfield's got a new album coming out like next week, and it sounds terrible. I heard the first single; it's bad. <laughs> it's 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 like that book. It's bad. <laughs> So. Yeah, if it's anything like his uh, writing career, yeah. I think I'll pass. You know the sequel to that's coming out. Are you serious? No, I'm not serious. Totally not serious. <sighs> oh. Siri needs you. Hold on. Hold Siri on. wanted to get in on this because I said serious. Is that really what happened? <laughs> yeah, because you know how you activated. You just say, hang on, I'm going to get it ready. Hey, Siri. Nice. Yeah. So, can can you put Siri really close to the to your headset so I can talk to Siri for a second? Um, why do you want to talk to Siri? I don't know. Let's see what Siri can tell us about things. I don't think we have time for Siri right now. Uh, maybe, maybe when we have it more more <laughs> well planned out. I think. Okay, because I've got some questions for Siri. At any rate, so um, uh, you know, I know between you and I, there's a little bit of a disagreement here. I'm gonna go with this is our first truly nonfiction book. I mean, but I mean, like, you know what my argument. I don't know if I no, have to present my argument. Oh, no, no, I know. I think that's historical fiction. I'm not really sure. It's, but, it's, it's, it's a non, it's listed as a nonfiction book. You, your hang up is that it's, it's written in, in a narrative style. Well, yeah. And not just that, but, you know, there's actually interaction between characters. Yeah. But the, 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 Mm, the dialogue that's attributed to them is taken from, I don't know, at any rate. Here's the whole thing. Are we sure this is nonfiction? The book's called Liar, and it's a memoir. So how do we know? How do we really know? Well, here's the, here's the other thing. It's written in the second person, so I'm reading this book, and I'm thinking, man, I don't remember doing any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, holy shit. I must have been really fucked up to not remember that. <laughs> so I'm I'm solidly certain that this is a nonfiction book. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Although. Sal- is there is there a difference between a memoir and like a biography or autobiography? So I'm not sure, but I, I asked myself this question, and if there is a difference, I think that an autobiography is um, a probably a little more linear than this book, and um, probably more of a documentation where this is a lot of emotion. I, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this during the. Yeah, I guess there's probably a way to find out. I'm guessing memoirs allow for embellishment, whereas like an autobiography would not. I mean, but aren't we really, don't we embellish whenever we, I mean, talk about ourselves? I mean, isn't it just, 
you know. Um, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. So like, I guess I mean it in the way in the J- in the James Frey like. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. <laughs> the publishing world. <laughs> um, memoir and autobiography can be used interchangeably. In fact, Amazon. Well, Amazon's not an authority on anything. An autobiography focuses on the chronology of the writer's entire life, while a memoir covers one specific aspect of the writer's life. So if I chose to write about my complete life up to this point, including growing up in Cincinnati, my time in New York, and the few years I spent in Chicago, eventually lending at Writer's Digest, I'd write an autobiography. If I wrote a book about the winter of my sophomore year in high school, where I got my tongue stuck to an icy pole, I'd write a memoir. That would be a terrible memoir. Fuck that memoir. Writer's Digest guy. Brian Clems. So neither of us are really right. We were way off the mark on this. We are way off the mark. We shouldn't be reviewing books. We, you know what? We shouldn't be writing books. I'll agree with that. I yeah, that's yeah, that's true. I'll that's re- true. fucking. No one's gonna stop me reviewing a fucking book. We're gonna have to talk about the, <laughs> writing our own memoirs at the end of this review, though. <laughs> after reading this, I don't know, man. We'll we'll see. Here is a somewhat lengthy synopsis. So um, buckle in, kids. When Rob Roberge learns that he's likely to have developed a progressive memory-eroding disease from years of hard living and frequent concussions, he is terrified by the prospect of becoming a walking shadow. In a desperate attempt to preserve his identity, he sets out to somewhat faithfully record the most formative moments of his life, ranging from the brutal murder of his childhood girlfriend to a diagnosis of rapid cycling bipolar disorder to opening for famed indie band Yola Tango at the Fillmore in San Francisco. But the process of trying to remember his past only exposes just how fragile the stories that lay at the heart of our self-conception really are. As liar twists and turns through Roberge's life, it turns the familiar story of sex, drugs, and rock and roll on its head. Darkly funny and brutally frank, it offers a remarkable portrait of a down-and-out existence cobbled together across the country, from musicians' crash pads around Boston, to seedy bars popular with sideshow freaks in Florida, to a painful moment of reckoning in the scorched Wonder Valley desert of California. As Robert struggles to keep addiction and mental illness from destroying the good life he has built in his better moments, he is forced to acknowledge the increasingly blurred line between the lies we tell others and the lies we tell ourselves. That's a pretty heavy synopsis. That uh, that is, but it's it's a uh, it's very accurate synopsis. I think I think that uh, whoever wrote that really captured the the kind of essence of this book. Yeah, so um, this is actually kind of a first in the history of of our podcast. We've never reviewed a memoir before, so it doesn't um, allow us to explain a story or talk about characters like like we're used to, the crutch that we use. Um, So our explanation of this book is probably going to be, A, quite different than we typically, you know, um, uh, deliver, and B, probably not as long. (laughs) Uh, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, the other thing to to note about this book and why it's difficult for us to talk about in the same fashion we would something else is um, it's written completely non-linearly. Good Lord, non-linearly? I would say it's written in a fashion that is not linear. <laughs> That's exactly. So, you know, it could be... Um, Rob at uh, at age seven, and then Rob at age thirty, followed by Rob at age sixteen, and all in a in, in a fluid style in the book, like the 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 different time periods within a, a subsection, all meshed together really well to show you something that Rob wanted you to see about his life to give you some insight. 
Um, that being said, there's really no, the book starts off with and kind of ends up with it. It really doesn't. I mean, there's a very vague kind of beginning and end, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a jumble. And when I say that, I'm not saying that in a bad way. I think it illustrates its point quite clearly. It's just not easy to discuss. Uh, agreed. Now, the fractured timeline does offer one thing, and this isn't probably as evident in the beginning as it is toward the end, is um, we'll have a topic that is being discussed at one point in his life, and then you'll, you'll jump forward 20 years and then see how that situation or that, you know, personality or that decision or whatever affected his life this amount of time later, uh, which is kind of cool. So sometimes, not always, but sometimes the different chunks of life are themed together so that this is what happened in the eighties. And then this is how, you know, the effect of that impacted my life in the nineties or the, you know, 2012 or whatever it happens to be. Yep. Um, the one thing that uh, is consistent throughout is uh, uh, Rob has dealt with some things in his life. So he's dealt with uh, addiction to alcohol and drugs. Um, uh, you know, I, I say this, I, I don't want it to sound bad. You know, this covers numerous, by numerous, not that many, maybe five serious relationships with women, including um, his, his most recent, the, the one with his wife. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of kind of, self-reflection through the eyes of others maybe in some cases mm -hmm. um and then you know the the fear of a debilitating disease that's going to take away who you are so that's prevalent throughout the entire book so um i don't know about sex drugs and rock and roll but definitely kind of love drugs and maybe health issues or fear of health issues um even more so than the health issues themselves and I think that it all comes down, a lot of it comes down to um, being out of control, you know, because, uh, and it's illustrated at one point in the book very clearly, without spoiling anything, there's a, there's a part, a very, I, I, I hesitate to use the word, but very sobering moment, um, where he's delivered some really bad news, and the first thing he does is um, go out and, you know, get loaded on any drugs and alcohol he can find. Um, after having, you know, gotten sober and relapsed and gotten sober and relapsed and gotten sober and relapsed many times over his life. Uh, and so that really brought into, to focus for me, just how much, um, there's this kind of dichotomy of trying to be in control, like the struggle to be in control, but also like the need to lose control and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of a, for me, a big theme throughout I agree um, wholeheartedly. It's um, and this is where it's really hard. So I don't know if I would really explain it well. It it's all told through vignettes, right? They're just little one to two, three, four page the tops um, parts of his life. So I, I mean, I guess we can cover some of the bigger ones a little bit and try not to spoil, maybe to give people an idea of what they're gonna get with this. Sure. Yeah, I'm interested to see where you want to start with this because, <laughs> like you said, it's gonna be difficult to like really kind of expand on much of it but yeah go for it um i think one of the i don't know kind of more interesting interesting got it so so it's so much easier to talk about this when it's not a like a person's life right if this was a fiction story i'd be like you know it's kind of cool but none of this is really cool so you know i'm gonna 
try to filter myself and hope that I'm not offensive. Anything I say, one of the interesting parts of this is he does lose a friend, um, a, a very close um, friend at a very, very young age. He's eight. Is that right, Rob? Yeah, I think it was, I don't know if it was eight, 10, something like that. Definitely a, a young age. Um, she's murdered and this is in the synopsis, but how often he reflects back on that even you know, later in life, like trying to, to solve the, the unsolved mystery as an adult, um, you know, which which I think. I don't know, gave me kind of an inner glimpse of, of, of how heavy something like that can be. Now, I've never lost a, you know, a childhood friend in that way. I've never known anybody who was murdered or whatever. But it's the kind of thing that in your formative years can really weigh on you and then can kind of shape maybe who you are later in life. Yeah, for sure. Um yeah, I can't claim to have any kind of tragedy that close to me. Although I do have here. All right, I have a story. This is the closest I can come to anything close to that. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, my neighbors across the street, directly across the street from me, were the Roses. So it was Mister and Missus Rose, and they were older people. You know, their their children were grown up and living on their own and all that kind of stuff. And um, Came home from school one day. This is in the the winter around Christmas time. I don't know if it was before or after or whatever. But uh, my mom got really seriously sat me and my brother down and said, "This is what happened." And it turns out that Mister Rose shot and killed himself. He committed suicide. Um, and really, my only memory of that was I didn't get it. You know, I was I wasn't <laughs> cognizant. I mean, I knew that he was never coming back. I knew what death was and everything. I was old enough to understand that, like, this was a permanent thing he did, and he did it to himself. But, like, the gravity of it, I didn't understand that. Um, but I remember vividly the, the asking, like, why did he do it? And the answer was was that he was very sad. And then I was thinking, you know what, that's probably not a bad reason. At the time, you know, not really understanding anything. But I think about that from time to time, and it's not... Far, it's far from being something that like I obsessed over or anything like that. But yeah, in my personal life, that's probably the closest I ever got to something like that when I was still young and and, and developing an understanding of the world. Pretty sure you're still trying to develop an understanding of the world. I'm trying to understand a, <laughs> I'm trying to develop an understanding of you, motherfucker. That's right. So not only did Rob have uh, this going on in his early years, but I, I, I guess I'll let our Rob, my Rob, you're my Rob, my Rob kind of talk about some of the other formative years. Yeah, one of the things that really stood out uh, about the book for me in general was, you know, when you when you read a synop- when you hear a synopsis like this, like we we know something bad happened in his childhood, but you don't expect some of the ongoing problems to have started that young. And really, as is expressed throughout the book, the book uh, in a nonlinear way, because sometimes we see things from 2012 in the first couple chapters or whatever, but also from his youth, um, the mental problems, the bipolar, and um, some of the mental issues uh, manifested really, really young, and also because he had, you know. Uh, I don't even want to call it like uh, a bad parenting situation, but he just had access to stuff like their alcohol and stuff. Uh, even uh, alcohol and drugs were available at an age that's you know usually not you know when people start doing those types of things. So 
even in in his I want to say middle school high school years it was already there was a problem with not a problem but there was the the presence of drug and alcohol abuse too so even from as early as five with the 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 bipolar and, and those types of things and then like leading into middle school and obviously definitely in high school the drug and alcohol abuse was already present so his whole life practically has been dealing with these types of things that are being thrown at him yeah, and I mean that doesn't set the stage for a you know particularly um, easy life, I guess. I guess it depends on how you you look at easy. So, um, as Rob matures um, in age throughout the book, what we do see, which and and you know I, it's so funny because I look at some of the things in this book and I think like how I romanticize some things, and then I read them in this book and I find that maybe they're not as romantic as I thought. Um, you know, he gets to live like all over the place and like it's the crash in different places and stuff. And and I don't know how he looks back upon those times as if it were really great or if like he didn't know where he was staying the next week. You know, I me having lived in the same general area my whole life, you know, I've not had the opportunity to do that. But I always kind of, you know, in my mind thought, man, you know, if my life took a different turn, you know, it'd be something like at least Rob Roberge's living situation, you know, with like kind of living in a different place in the country and living overseas and kind of like crashing with this girl that I met, you know, versus having a more, you know, stable home front, um, you know, for my entire life. So we see a lot of that kind of coupled with um, problems that his addiction caused um, during that and, you know, how he became involved with different bands and, and you know, and, and different things that he did. All of it, like I said, depending on how that story is told to you, could be very um, appealing. Or in this case, I didn't really get appealing from most of it. I mean, this book is pretty somber and it's in its tone throughout. Yeah. And this is actually something that came up in our interview with Rob Roberge, which as a dutiful podcaster... Uh, I listened to again, at least most of it, uh, the other day to prepare for this review. Um, when we were talking to Rob, one of the things that we said about his book, The Cost of Living, was how all of this stuff that was present did not glorify that stuff, but really kind of made you feel that it wasn't a good thing. So the drug abuse and the drinking and the, you know, random sex with people was more of a, like a symptom or a consequence of like something going wrong in life. Um, so it's never glorified. It's never, um, man, remember that awesome time that this happened? It's like, well, I fucked up and did this again, you know? Um, so there is a gravity to it. Um, anytime that something extreme happens, it's usually because a bad decision was made. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's pretty much always the case. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then as, as um, we get later and later into into Rob's life, there's um, the, the diagnosed um, rapid cycling bipolar disorder. I'm pulling that right from the synopsis is to not get it wrong and how that affects, you know, somebody who's very creative, who's a writer and a musician, you know, to know that you could be losing, you know, who you are a little bit at a time um, from that type of, of thought process to the actual symptoms of um, you know, being manic and being awake for, you know, I'm just throwing a number out there, 72 hours straight and then crashing really hard or having situations where you don't remember, you know, big events that you were at and participated in but have no recollection of and the fear of that continuing to happen. And 
the kind of path that could put you on as far as making decisions about the rest of your life. Yeah. And really just in general to, to build on that is just the thought that like, imagine something happens in your life that, you know, you don't take well. If you are a, you know, as a, as a person who's not facing having problems with, you know, bipolar or, or addiction issues, you know, you take that shit hard and your life gets messed up. So imagine that compounding on that, you have those, you know, other factors like uh, like bad news can be devastating as opposed to just like bad news so it's a really interesting just kind of look into um and we'll talk about this hopefully a little bit more uh how much we don't understand about what someone uh in rob's situation is going through and how we can't understand it but also like how difficult it is to react or to 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 kind of orbit that type of plan, uh, that type of planet, you know. Yep, absolutely. Um, any particular vignettes you want to talk about? I mean, I think we've given a pretty. <laughs> I was gonna say a really well, well rounded, but well probably doesn't cover what we did there <laughs> since we're a little out of our elements. <laughs> so, um, hopefully, you guys were able to stay with us on on most of that. Um, anything in particular you want to cover from a, a vignette standpoint? I mean, we have to talk about Gale, right? So yeah. a lot of the books centers around Rob's kind of difficult uh <laughs> I don't even know how to say it, like difficult uh, almost stumbling through life with with facing what he's doing and the decisions that he's made and you know what's happening in his life and one of the very stabilizing factors in the book that's introduced is his wife Gail who uh he meets and uh, if my math is right, they're married for, at the time the book is written at least, like 20 years, right? Something like that. So anyway, something like that. Um, basically, from the, from the at some point from when he meets her to, you know, when the book, at the latest date of the book, for the most part, he, he stays sober. And... Uh, establishes the life that he he is living now where he's a teacher at a college and he's uh, regularly writing and still you know playing for his band and everything like that so i don't know if i i don't know if maybe it's just the way i picked it up but um gail the gail part of the book is definitely where his life turns around massively for the better where it's not so uh aimless it actually kind of pieces it together into as much of a normal existence as we're really presented in the book. Yeah, I think Gail is definitely a catalyst for for um, for everything that you said. Um, oddly enough, and again, to stay out of spoiler, t- spoiler territory, um, that does lead to some of the worst things probably in Rob's life too. So, you know, how that plays out, um, you know, with the... It's, uh, what is that something about? You can only suffer great loss when you have something great to lose or something along those lines. So there are some, some parts in there that are completely related to the fact that he does have a normal life and how much harder a fall I think that can be than when you're kind of on the skids all the time, yeah. you know, and you have these kind of like dips, these, these valleys versus, you know, riding kind of high on the hog and then, then falling off. I'll quote back at you, Bob Dylan, when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Only Bob Dylan can understand the kind of. <laughs> We're gonna get to that in a, said, yeah, Oh, yeah. the quotes—that's so, good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there are some some lighter hearted um, moments. Maybe ultimately they're written a little funnier than they are actually light light hearted. But um, there's a part where he's teaching a, a creative writing class. <laughs> that's Carl. Just, that's just <laughs> fucking brilliant and, and hysterical um, centering around. Um, not just the fact that this this person that, that takes his class is 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 kind of like a caricature of, of an actual human <laughs> being, but even just Rob's kind of reaction to him. Um, there's yeah. a there's a terrific scene um, early on that I'm not going to go too far about where it's um, and I believe I actually have a quote from there, but it's um, Rob's father has a friend who's just gotten out of prison, and it's ten year old Rob Roberge is sitting at the kitchen table having a conversation with this guy who's yeah you know like just been in the clink for like 10 years or whatever it is and he's offering rob robert's 10 year old rob robert's life advice so yeah there, there's stuff. some there's some funny moments although ultimately you know I, i'm not sure they all kind of play into the same weird dark you know things i guess that they can happen to somebody another thing that's present throughout is um parts of history that are that are not directly related to Rob Roberge, which I thought was interesting. So uh, in the beginning of the book, there's a lot of talk about things that happened with the Titanic and also um, uh, uh, animal species going extinct and stuff like that. So I see it almost as a way to contrast or to, to you know, act as a parallel to what's going on in Rob's life. Um, especially later in the book, there's a lot of uh, celebrities who either kill themselves or die um, under circumstances that are similar to things that Rob is going through, and I don't mean I don't I don't want to represent that like Rob's like oh yeah my my life is just like this person not at all it's just kind of an anecdotal like while this is going on in my life this is some crazy shit that happened in the world too you know like so it, 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 situations that. If I were in Rob's shoes, I it wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to avoid seeing the the similarity of the of the situations. Yeah, and that plays on what I was kind of saying earlier about you know even though it skips around in a time frame standpoint, all of those little sections tie together very well. Even you know mentioning that a, a Amy Winehouse and an overdose yep. you know ties in well to whatever section it, it appeared in in the book, even though that section may be covered. 12-year-old Roberge, 30-year-old Roberge, and Roberge from, you know, 2012 or whatever, whichever time frame, you know, the, the book ends in, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really... <laughs> when I first started reading it and I realized that essentially you have a, a massively fractured timeline in a book that's told primarily in the second person, Um, it works so fucking well. It works really, really well. That's, yeah, my ra- that's my wrap up. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, um, I have to agree. And actually, now that, that this is the second time it's come up, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back and and ask you something. How much of the second person telling do you think makes it easier? Maybe just a little bit to talk about things that you did or that happened to you. Do you think that's hmm. a little bit of displacement and maybe makes it easier for someone to talk about? So I'm not going to quote anything specific that happened in the book, but, you know, um, you know, saying, man, I got so fucked up and, and really did some some, 
some impolite things, you know, to, to some people I really cared about. Do you think that's easier? Do you think that's easier to, you know, or it's easier to kind of put you in the driver's seat <laughs> to shift the, mm-hmm. the perspective? I, I, yeah. I hadn't thought of that, but I mean, it makes sense. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, well, I think that I, I mean, I always see second person as a way to not force, but encourage empathy uh, or a shared perspective, you know? So, yeah, I mean, either softening the blow of the the narrator not feeling, or not the narrator, the author not feeling as personally responsible for the stuff you're saying, but also, like, maybe it's kind of like saying, hey, man, kind of, you know, I need you to be with me on this because there's some fucked up stuff that's about to be talked about. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. <laughs> I, um, I, I think it worked well. You know, I, I mean, I liked it. I was a little concerned. When I cracked the book open and read the first paragraph, yeah. I'm like, oh, how is this gonna how's this gonna work out in second person? But it doesn't take long to get out of the the second person mentality and have it kind of flow as a you know what I mean? It, it yeah, it's jarring, and second person to me is always jarring at first. But yeah, I mean it's it's you're three four pages in, and I think it stops doing that and becomes a very very fluid read. Well, I mean, it's a testament to the two times, the two times we've read um, books written in the second person. They were written by people who are really fucking good authors, and um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. <laughs> so when done right, it's such a powerful tool. Uh, but I don't think many people could pull it off the way that Robert Bears did with this book, or Stephen Graham Jones did with Not for Nothing when we read that book. Yeah, I was thinking there was only one other. When you said two, I was like, man, did I miss, like, were you saying two previously? I'm trying to think <laughs> in my head, did we actually read something else that was like this? So, um, you ready to, to do some quotes? I think we may have talked all the story we can talk at this point. I'm ready to do quotes, but I'm not ready, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. I'm going to pull up my photos and see if there's anything I can do from there. All right, this is, uh, you know, two and a half paragraphs, so this is going to be a little longer. But I, um, we got a paper copy of this book which most listeners know how I feel about paper books at this point, um, especially when you're a reviewer. So I have some photographs I took of pages, um, mostly because I had to then give the book to Rob. So even like bookmarks, like little weren't going to, weren't going to save me um, as far as this. So I'm going to read through a little bit of this. I really felt that this passage kind of summed up um, a lot of things. And, and one of them, maybe we'll talk about a little bit after this quote. Using addicts know how they're going to feel in five minutes. Mental illness, on the other hand, is the ultimate loss of control. Plus, when you're an addict who stopped, it's something of a redemption tale, and everybody loves one of those. When you have a mental illness that might only get worse, people don't really want to hear about that. The story arc of mental illness does not conform to the redemption tale. More and more, you're realizing that if you were ashamed of certain things you did when you drank and used drugs, you are ashamed of who you are with mental illness. One of the things we didn't really talk about is is the amount of um, shame and guilt, maybe, that's covered in this whole book. Um, and how, and, and you know, I, I, was, I was thinking about this after I got done reading the book a week ago and talking about this and stuff and trying not to sound, you know, you know, real grandiose about Rob. But, dude, how fucking brave is it to just admit, you know, that the amount of shame you have over things? It's 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 really... I don't know, man. It really got me in the chest a few times reading some of these passages and just not only realizing that someone has to live with that type of feeling, but that they're brave enough. And that's the word I was trying to avoid using. You know, he's so brave. You know, I don't want it to sound like that, but brave enough to share that with 
just anybody who's got, you know, whatever, 15 bucks and, and some time to read your book. Right. Because uh, Bravo it almost sounds condescending or, or, or something like that, right? Like, yeah. Sympathetic. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's I, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, here's the whole thing. You know, I'm sure you and I each have our own skeletons or whatever, but now imagine putting that all on display and not just for strangers to read, but that, you know, your mom's going to pick up this book or, or your buddy yeah. or something you went to college with or a coworker, you know. Or the I mean? person that that thing happened with. Yeah. That's the other <laughs> thing I kind of wondered is, is how many people he reached out to and said, hey, can I talk about this particular thing? And I mean, yeah. in some cases we know um, and recognize some of the names that are mentioned and Gina Frangello is mentioned and she's also somebody who I believe did some of the editing on this book or at least was was integral in some point and it's, you know, as a, as a reader or, or whatever, but... Yeah, like how much did he ask people for, you know, permission for give notification to and how hard is it to display, you know, some of the deepest, darkest kind of things that have gone through your mind to, to everyone, you know, it's it's I, I can't fucking do it. And and if there was one source of shame, that would be enough to make it impactful. But there are two entirely separate sources of shame because he's got you know, the addiction issues and stuff like that and the levels to which he stoops under those conditions. But then entirely separate from that is um, trying to remain, to be taken seriously in his field while struggling with, uh, you know, mental issues as well, right? Yeah, and I think the thing I liked about those paragraphs, and it, you know, it comes up in the book numerous times, but you know, having to feel kind of ashamed for something. Okay. So we, we can argue and we, we can talk about addiction and, and, you know, and that type of thing and you know how that, you know, is a choice or it's a disease or, or however you want to go about it. But flat out, we know that mental illness is not a choice or a disease. So you don't choose to, to have a debilitating, you know, mental disorder. Um, right. even if you do choose to do heroin, you, you know what I mean? So it, it's gotta be even tough you know, not just admitting you have that problem, but then admitting how you feel about yourself because of it. It's just, it's this cycle of just sad, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. you know, I didn't mean to get on a whole discussion about it, but some things about this book, man, holy shit. Holy shit indeed. And, and, and I think that what this does, what this book does is it gives you some perspective of how people feel uh, from Rob's point of view or from the addict's point of view or the person who's suffering from mental disorders uh, point of view and this quote kind of goes along with that from the addict part of it when you're 45 years old you will publish a story about those 10 days and the greasy blood chunks on a literary website and a woman you knew back then will write in the comments section i remember praying you wouldn't die you remember hoping you would that fucking chilled me man yep that no that's that's and that's i said it there's some hmm Right. Here's a here's another little passage um, from from the scene I mentioned earlier, which I just I just love. So I, I don't know that I have all of what I wanted because I gave it a picture of like three quarters of a page. Uh, and this is um, Rob Roberge. I believe he's 10 or around 10 in the scene. And um, his dad's friend is has come to visit um, after getting out of prison. Um, so at some point, the dad's friend asks, what what the hell is this garbage you're listening to or something along those lines? It's punk, you say. Punk, he says, smoking a hand-rolled cigarette. This is punk? Punk music, you say. They're a punk band. Is your band a punk band? You say yes. 
In the joint, a punk is someone who takes it up the ass. He laughs. You take it up the ass, kid? The thought has never occurred to you. You're 15, a slow developer. Also, he's 15, not 10. You've barely done more than make out with anyone, but you pick up on what he thinks the right answer is. No. Then don't go calling yourself a punk. Punks take it up the ass. You tell the wrong person you're a punk and you'll be getting fucked in the ass. Understand me, kid? <laughs> Great stuff there. Yeah, that one really stuck with me as well. Uh, again, one of the more humorous moments, but that's that's fucked up. And um, I, have a, I have a quote that goes along with this pretty well. It's another time where some... Somebody's kind of giving him advice, but maybe not the most solid advice in the world. Maybe. Maybe it is. I mean, I, I looking at it now, I'm like, you know what? That makes sense. But, you know, as a kid, I don't know how I would feel about this. <clears throat> 1990. Your dad's father is dying. His last words to you are, if you're going to try to fuck every beautiful woman in the world, you're going to die an unhappy man and take care of your feet. Over the years, you will find that he is right. I'm not gonna quote from this particular scene, but um, he is um, he is helping out. He basically has gone along with a friend of his to, to this bar, um, just because it's a bar where the the freaks from a freak show hang out. Excellent hmm. stuff. Excellent stuff there too. Yeah, definitely. Here is uh, here is another quote. I guess I really like the uh, the longer the longer ones. Um, uh, this is. Uh, this is um, Rob when he is uh, sober, but he is uh, he is at the hospital, and I apologize, I don't remember what he's there for, but they do offer him some uh, some pain medication. No, you tell her, and then you admit that you're an addict, which you hate, because they write it on your chart, and it means you'll never get pain meds there, no matter how much you beg. You've been good, but you still want the option to fuck up later, even if you know it's a mistake. You wish you hadn't told her, and then you thank her and end up popping Advil for weeks, wishing you had taken the Vicodin. Still, you brag to your friends in recovery that you turned it down. You don't tell them about your regret at having done so. It's good stuff. And you know what? Like the way that it's presented, it seems so reasonable. Like you know what? I'd like the idea. I'd like the. Pro- I wouldn't want to be shut down. I wouldn't that door to be. Wouldn't want that door to be shut on me either. Mm-hmm. But that's bad. Bad logic. Good logic. I'm only gonna do one more after this. So. All right. So you want me to throw a couple out? Um, I'm going to throw a couple little ones out really quick because I've got a handful, and I know I've got way more than Livius does due to the the print book situation. So uh, just a couple here and there that are I thought were well, well-structured, very small sentences that have good sentiment behind them. Knowing something may make it a fact, but feeling something makes it a truth. That was fucking super brilliant. Agreed. Um... There's uh, various points throughout the book, obviously hospital stuff and, and, and results and things like that. And um, in the course of being delivered some bad news, I believe, or researching something, I'm not sure, um, there's a virus involved and you see kind of what the virus looks like. And the quote is, you look at the photo of the virus. It is, like so many things out of context, beautiful. And I was like, damn right. Mm-hmm. Here's a here's a here's one that kind of just punched me right in the gut, and then I'll pass it over to Livius. But this one was just really really rough because of how, like, unassailably true it sounds when you read it. There are a few worse feelings than watching someone you love who loves you deeply come to the realization that they can no longer love you, out of fear for their own survival. 
Fuck, man. Yeah, and that's what I meant, dude. That, that just admitting that kind of stuff has got to be. Oof. Um, here is a uh, here's a longer one, which again, you know, I, I don't necessarily mean to chuckle, but it was written in a funny way, and it's got to be a terrible situation. But th- this one's gonna stick with me um, in the event that I never ever need to use this tactic in case Rob has um has overdosed. I'm going to set this up by reading the paragraph before, too, since all I have is several photos of pages. Um, In Boston, you overdose on a mixture of benzos and alcohol in the bedroom of some woman you met that night at a party. Earlier, you had fucked. Then you felt yourself really nodding out, sitting on her floor, drinking red wine after getting loaded. She tells you later that you started to gag and then stopped breathing. You wake up on the floor of her apartment while she is roughly shoving ice cubes up your asshole in an attempt to revive you. It works. You come to and see she's furious. You're almost certain her name is Tony. She screams at you. I don't know you well enough to be sticking ice cubes in your ass. I have two things to say about the ice in the ass scene. But does it work? <laughs> First of all, it's good to know that that will work if you don't have smelling salts nearby. And second of all, I knew you would take the ice in the ass quote, so I didn't mark it down. I got to tell you, these are things you have to remember. In case you're ever drinking, like, $100 beer and you stop breathing, I'm going to totally ask somebody to shove ice cubes up your ass. <laughs> With the Patreon money, we can make people, you can make people do it for you, right? This is very true. Oh, it's all coming together. I love we have it. An, we have an intern. <sighs> well, he's already refused to give people hand jobs. How do you know yeah, he's going to shove ice in my ass? He cares about you enough. All right. And he knows you well enough. That was Tony's problem <laughs> in the scene. Is she didn't know him well He enough. knows me. Yeah. You know what? We are we are friends. So, all right. Well, hey, you know what? I feel better now knowing that that's a possibility. <laughs> this one's a little bit long and a little bit uh, more like uh, it's it's not a scene. It's more of just like a thought, kind of an idea. So I hope everybody stays with me with it. More of a concept. You're on Interstate 10. The I-10 is known to locals, depending on your direction, as the San Bernardino Freeway or the Santa Monica Freeway. Freeways here, true to the romantic nature of the West and its ever-hopeful revision of the life that came before, are made for movement and the future, and they're named for where you're going, not where you have been. The past, well, that's for when you turn around. Where you've been is only important in the context of where you are. And if where you are in this moment is good, the past makes sense and every moment of horror and dread seems worth it. If where you are is terrible, the past just seems like an accumulation of data that confirms you were on this path all along. How things end up matters. That was a tough one, but probably well. Yeah, one of the better parts of the book, if you ask me. Very, very well written. Are we uh, are we ready to wrap this up? Yeah, I will let you wrap up first. All right, so um, look, the only reason we're reading a memoir is because it is um, Rob Roberge and The High Cost of Living was a great book, which I felt at the time um, had some truth to it. And, um, and as we find out from this one, even our conversation with him, but as we find out for this one, um, he definitely had some... Uh, some some basis for for writing um that book including a a suicide scene which was taken directly from his life that he mentions in this in this particular book um you know that he had basically uh, called that whole story for that book from something that happened in his personal life so um man 
I, I don't know what to say. Like I read this and all I want to do is like talk to Rob about it, but Rob hadn't read it cause it was still in my hand. So, um, Holy shit. You know, I, I uh, again, I, I, I hesitate to use words like brave and, and, and whatever. Uh, it really seems that that Rob kind of bared his soul um, here for, I don't know, our education, our entertainment. I don't even know what to say. I, I, I love this book and I loved reading it and I feel guilty, which is stupid, right? Because that's what writers write for is for someone to, you know, enjoy um, you know, the, the reading and, and to take it to heart. And, and I did. So I think it did its job. But I feel bad saying like I really enjoyed this book because fuck it's it's like the all the bad things that have happened to him in his life. Um, it's it's very well written and I was very skeptical. I was skeptical about second person. I was very skeptical about it jumping around the timeline because as most um, astute listeners know, I, I don't remember things very well and I, you know I pay attention. That doesn't mean that I retain it very well. And I was really worried that I would get this all jumbled up. And you know what? I didn't because it's not that type of book. Um, if you have not read or do not read nonfiction, um, I strongly recommend this. If you want insight into somebody's um, um, life and, and the, the path that drugs and slash mental illness can take you down, um, I don't have any frame of reference to say this is as good as whatever Oprah book um, is its counterpart or whatever. But I can strongly recommend this to, to anybody um, who's really interested in, in, in seeing the world through the eyes of somebody who maybe has some of the same challenges you do. If you have problems with drugs and or alcohol or, or even some mental illness or, or you're afraid of a debilitating disease that, you know, runs in your family. Um, this is, this is a good book to, to have on hand. I, I personally really thoroughly enjoyed it and I would probably give it more than five stars if I could, but I'm, I'm, I'm stuck to the five stars. So that's what we're going to do on this one. Yeah. I agree with everything Livia said. Definitely going to be difficult for me to wrap up reading a memoir because how do you review someone's life, right? Because that's pretty much what we just did. Um, I think the biggest thing to understand, Livia makes a great point about saying bravery and stuff like that. Um, it's really difficult to talk about reading about someone's life and then saying how good you thought it was. Uh, I do have experience reading some memoirs, though not a lot, and I've read Augustine Burroughs a lot, who is basically, he built his writing career around telling everybody about his life as an alcoholic and a, and, and a drug addict and stuff like that, so it's not the first time I've read books like this, but um, I mean, really what it comes down to with something like this is honesty, even in a book called Liar. Um, He's even honest about the fact that he's lying. So throughout the book, we we see these um, unfiltered looks into someone's life at their lowest moments. But because of his honesty about who he is, there is that question about like how much of this actually happened. And he questions himself how much of this is how I remembered it or how much, you know, my mind changed it to be what I, I want to remember, that type of thing. But overall, the feeling I have from this book is just the lengths that a person can go to to adapt and overcome um, the challenges that Rob is faced with. I can't even fathom. But at the end of the day, um, I think you got to latch on to the fact that, like, Livius and I are lucky enough to have met him and know him to some degree. And my impression has always been that he's just been an awesome person. So in the world, he's probably one of his biggest critics because he sees all the things that he's been through and done. 
and we don't. We see more now, but um, uh, if anything, it helps us to understand what he's faced that we haven't, but also like how he has persisted despite all of the obstacles. Um, there's no way this can't be a five-star book uh, just for the fact that he wrote it and finished it alone. But um, I think the big thing about this is the, the perspective that this added that I haven't gotten from other books, and this is important, this is probably why I like this book um, as much as I do, is there's a point in the book where um, there's there's kind of an idea of like, you know, what was the joke? How do you know an addict is lying? He's, his lips are moving, that type of thing. Um, he understands that for a lot of people, there's no reason anybody should ever trust an addict or a junkie or whatever you want to say. Um, it's easy to have the perspective of, well, if anything goes wrong, it's because this person is an addict and they, they're relapsing or whatever it is. But like from the perspective of someone who is trying to make their life better, just how crushing those people's opinions are. I had never thought of that before. Um, it doesn't make me want to be careful around people I know who are addicts or anything, but it just makes me understand a perspective that I didn't even think about before. So for that alone, this book stands tall above other books that I've read that are similar. Um, definitely, like Livia said, this breaks the five-star scale, but we'll go five stars. Man, we're going to have to read something really fucking uplifting for the next one, man. Something up. <laughs> I know. I'm going to take a break after this. Shit, yeah. Well, we had, we had planned. We have a planned break after this one. So we're not sure what's coming next week. I, uh, Rob and I have not talked about this at, at, at length at all, I guess. But um, no. Yeah, I don't even know, man. I'd like to get Rob on and talk about it. But then I feel like I want to ask him any of the questions that I want to know. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's a weird. Yeah. It's it's easy to to ask somebody like, hey, what was the motivation behind having your character, you know, Raj, um, do these particular you know things because of his addiction or, or whatever, and you know, and being like, dude, you know, what what's it like, you know, bearing your soul to the whole world, you know, at these things that that you're ashamed of, and let's talk about shame for a little bit. Like, I I, I don't even know if I know how to do it, so. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll throw it out there. Maybe we'll see what happens. Um, but definitely next week uh, we need a break. I'm gonna watch some fucking American Horror Story or something to try to yeah something uplifting like American Horror Story. Reset my brain, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's hadn't thought about that as far as like yeah, because all I want to do is talk to Rob Robert now. But how do you or do you or do you have like now I'm like do I do I even qualify? Is it my place? Is it making a presumption to ask him about the book? So that's a weird place to be in. Never been there before. Yeah. Well, that's like I said. It's kind of weird, too. Like, you want to say, I really enjoyed this book, but that makes you a terrible person, right? Like, I mean, like, what, you know, what? I don't know. It's uh, it's weird. We're going yeah. to we're gonna have to figure some shit out here. Can we talk about, We ha I think we have to address something that's not part of the review, but um, how are our lives and how they they kind of coincide with the timeline a part of the book yeah i mean I, I, yeah we could um although although we weren't mentioned at all in this memoir which i found to be, i'm not i'm not gonna hold it against him this time yeah yeah no maybe we'll be in the sequel <laughs> the sequel the sequel continue listen if this does well you know there's a sequel too right that's Could what they do yeah a liar to lie harder or something <laughs> i don't know oh god uh liar liar 
liar liar would be a good yeah yeah (laughs) so um no we actually we met rob um in and around some events that uh that occurred um in the book and um, you're gonna let me talk about it because i'm the you're the statistician yep i knew you were gonna do that to me some of the parts of the book take place in 2013 2013 is the year that rob's book uh the cost of living came out um it also is when AWP in Boston took place, and later on, the uh, Sunday Salon reading with Rob Roberge in Chicago took place. So, um, in the book, Rob mentions some kind of major, um, I don't know, I guess they're psychotic breaks, right? Is that a spoiler? Yes. No, I don't think that's a spoiler. Uh, that happened in 2013, and they're kind of sandwiched in between times that we spent time with him. So this is, I can officially say, the first time I've read a book in which I've interacted with the main character in between parts of the timeline, <laughs> which is really, really messed up. I'm glad for the listeners that stuck around and they were wondering, like, how are these guys going to tie themselves into this book somehow? I'm glad they got their, their payoff. <laughs> yeah, so I can even lay it out. So, <laughs> um, AWP Boston takes place in March, uh, beginning of March of 2013. We were there. We met Rob Roberge at the book fair, bought books, had him sign them and everything like that. Um, Told him we were going to review the book, which... Yeah, so we already pressure looped on. him into our life. Yeah. yeah, puts pressure on people. Puts we put pressure. We put him right under the the spotlight there. Um, cut to April, mid to late April of 2013. Rob is at the LA Times Book Festival, and um, that's when he has kind of a he has a psychotic break, right? Or at least parts of, or you know, his mental illness side of 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 his life is exposed to people that he never wanted to or expected to see that. So it's a really low moment for him just because that's a part of himself that he did keep private and he did not want um, to be out there kind of professionally. Um, Then fucking by, by no, by the weirdest coincidence, the same day he's at the LA time book festival is when our review of cost of living is posted on our website. Yeah. That's fucked up. It is fucked up. Then we drop our interview with Rob May 16th of 2013, which is, you know, after all that happened. And so we've talked to him sometime the week before. So this is all after the bad stuff in LA happens. Um, and listening to our interview of him, I'm like, man, how fucking heavy handed could we just be talking about? Like, the shit that like is just the worst part of his life right now. Like we didn't know it. There's no way we could have. But like, yeah. it's like all occurred to me too. Yep. Because like our questions are, hey, there's a lot of addiction in this book. Where was the inspiration for that? Yeah. You know. So, oh man, listening to that interview review after the fact, I'm just thinking, man. Oh man, how did he even get through that interview? But Listen, he... I don't know if you remember, but right after that, we met him at Sunday Salon, right? Because we posted that. that yeah. Thing. Okay, so. Do you remember though? I think I think that it cheered him up when I told him he looks a little bit like Rick Springfield. He was definitely. I, I think he was a little confused, yeah. but I think he probably reflected on that and probably felt felt 
felt pretty good. You buoyed his spirits, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we met him before and after that and talked to him kind of right after that. So we definitely sandwiched one of the most kind of critically fucked up scenes in this entire book. And I've never experienced that before. And it makes me think about, wow, the things that I say that I think are completely safe mm-hmm. might trigger something really fucked up for someone's life. So this had an impact on me that maybe other readers won't, but goddamn, man, it's messed up. It is. It is. It absolutely is. It's a, yeah, it's a very different experience for us. I mean, both in the, like it says, my first memoir, we've never talked about a memoir before. And I I don't really know what it would take for us to read another memoir. It would probably have to be somebody where we're fairly interested in and and respect and and, and hold regard as a, as a writer for us to, to do this again. So. Oh, you know, it's going to be Rick Fr- Rick Springfield's fucking memoir. Right, right. He actually has one and we haven't read it. Oh, yeah, yeah. we're not. We're not. I was lying <laughs> yeah, about that. That's no, not it's, happening. It's, it's a little outdated. That's from a few years ago. Exercising veto power on that one. But um, yeah, so <laughs> that's it. That's uh, that's our talk about Rob Robert's and his, his memoir. Really different than talking about a fiction book that we can just put away and think, oh, that didn't have any real impact on anybody's life. Yep, no kidding. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are impactful on people's lives, Ryan, the marketing intern, has very consistently been providing us with snippets for this podcast, which I am very happy because, you know, we've, we've had the, the mock funerals and stuff, and, you know, we've, we've had people come and go, Ryan is delivering every single week. So um, he's a buddy. He is a buddy. He's the kind of guy that would shove ice cubes up your ass if you were. You <laughs> well, were. we will have confirmation of that within days. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure, sure. recorded audio confirmation <laughs> of if that would happen or not. So now, because because we know he's going to respond to that, I need to know who's who's getting this ice cube treatment. Like, if it's me, if it's Livius, if it's like, it's totally you. Because I would have to be the one to tell him get the ice cubes. No, but what if you're in that situation and we need to get some ice cubes out for you? I don't think I don't think Ryan likes me that much. I don't know. He's bringing you gifts and stuff, comic books and very true. pop vinyl true. things. Maybe very he's getting. True. Here's the thing. He's gonna just put any old ice cube in my ass. He's getting I'm like get a little bow on. <laughs> really nice ice cubes. <laughs> oh, for you. I don't even know where this is going, but it, <laughs> it sounds like it's going to a terrible, dark, uncomfortable place. Yeah. With ice cubes. Like a back of a Volkswagen. Um, <laughs> mall rats joke there, in case you didn't catch that. I did. So here, without further ado, is Ryan, the marketing intern, talking about stuff and things. Hey, I'm Ryan McRae, the marketing intern for the Booked Podcast. I'm still working on Hyperion. It's a really long book. Uh, I'm not really enjoying it, uh, but I'm just kind of plodding through. It's kind of like the Canterbury Tales. It's just oh, it's so long. And yeah, I sent out the picture of Robin Livius in the bathroom at Noir at the Bar, and I thought I was in the picture, but I was actually the one taking the picture. So you got me, Livius, you got me. So if you want other weird pictures of Robin Livius that I can dig up, don't miss out. Sign up at thebookedpodcast.com, and you will get a copy of not only the booked anthology um, in all the digital formats, but a great newsletter where I just send out weird and... uh, strange things about Rob and Livius and maybe some book recommendations and maybe some interview stuff. I don't know. Uh, we'll have number two coming out real soon. 
That's about it. And back to Robin Livius. And I'm not having sex with anybody for Robin Livius. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not. Rob, do you happen to remember if that bathroom we were in, if it had the urinal that, you know, how they put the ice cubes in the urinal? <laughs> Like they do in bars sometimes. Oh, I don't. I honestly did not. I didn't even want to be in the bathroom at all. <laughs> I'm not sure why so, we were in the bathroom, although it was, it was you, you and Ryan at abducted me, and you're like, yeah, you I'm, must I'm sure it was bathroom. our idea. Yeah, I just don't remember yeah. why we thought it was a good idea. So, <laughs> oh, it was that shared trauma thing because you had to be in the weird bathroom that doesn't make sense, and then he had to be in there. So of course, I needed to go in there so that I had a shared experience. This is very true. Yeah. Um, like Ryan said, sign up for the newsletter. Get your copy of the book anthology in any digital form that you would like. Um, who's who's the publisher for for Liar? Uh, Crown. Crown. We host a podcast. That's what we do. We, we we don't do anything really high, you know, highfalutin or whatever. We can get digital formats out to people. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I don't yeah. know why I'd like to point that out. There's a we, point that I don't know why you made yeah. that point, but just, just that I'm mad that I had to read a paper book. Now here's the thing. It's not that I hate paper books in general. I just hate reading them. Rob Robert is going to be in Chicago. Is it in April? Uh, gave me some end dates. of March. I think it's end of March. Whatever. No, mid March. We're going to go see him. Maybe we'll be able to provide some recorded content for you guys, but I'm definitely going to buy a copy and have him sign it. So, um, I, I like paper books. I just don't like having to read them. That's all. Yeah. That's uh welcome to, man, you got super bitter, man. Like if this oh. is the hardest part of your life, is this going to be in your memoir? <laughs> and then Canon fucking mailed us a book. Yeah. Got a paper cut off of it. Spiraled into depression. And then the, 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 the worst part about it was how careful I had to be reading this book and eating my lunch because I knew I had to hand it to you. And if it had honey <laughs> mustard, like all over page, like one seventy. <laughs> I didn't want to have to be like to answer for that. So, <laughs> your life is fraught with challenge. So, um, Ryan is not the only person whose voice we'll be hearing outside of the of the lovely voices of Robin Livius this episode. We have someone else who called in uh, to kind of bring us to the table, right? To bring us to the mat or whatever. Call us, call us out. My God. You know, we say some things on this podcast. All right. I say some things on this podcast that after I say it, I'm like, there's going to be some fucking backlash. I know. And once in a while, you know, you get a an email or, or, or a message, you like know, a comment. Saying, yeah. 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 Right. So instead, fucking chutzpah. Holy shit. <laughs> we got blown up on Facebook and messages and text messages. And this this crowning piece here, this voicemail that you're going to hear from search bar, Chris. I'm probably not going to go into who Search Bar Chris is, but Search Bar Chris is the only person that still remembers the book podcast phone number because he'll just call us every couple of weeks with something. And uh, <laughs> he's got us on fucking speed dial or something. Yeah, yeah. We're we're like number one is your voicemail, <laughs> number two is like the emergency contact, and the book hotline number three. Um, so uh, here is here's the only person other than the Walgreens, like in Chicago, <laughs> that leaves us voicemails. Here's Search Bar Chris correcting us. On you know, whatever, not speaking a different language. Hello, Robin Livier. I am listening to your most recent podcast, and I want you to know that in the Jewish language, the CH is not ch, ch, it's pronounced. So, 
You're talking, you, what you call a chutzpah. It is chutzpah. Chutzpah. How have you not heard chutzpah? You do not call challah bread challah bread. It's challah. Challah bread. Chutzpah. Thank you very much. All right, we get it. That's but that's but okay. Here's the thing: I uh, I got the notification. I'm at work, right? And I didn't have a minute to actually listen to it. So I'm reading Google Voice, um, who hosts our um, our podcast phone number and handles the voicemail, does um, transcription. If you've never used Google Voice, it's amazing because you don't have to listen to the voicemails because you can completely get the gist of what the voicemail says through the little email thing that comes through. It's got a transcription. Rob is going to read you exactly how accurate this can be. This should be essentially word for word what you just listened to. But we're going to do it anyway, just to, just to demonstrate the marvels of Google's ability to translate your voicemails. Hello, Robin. Would you feel I am listening to your most recent podcast, and I want you to know that Individual Spring Grades 6th is not sure, so you talking to you, what you come and transfer, could fuck, 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 out of you know if I could fuck call Kala Kala it's the CH now I don't even remember is it Hala I ch- Chala I don't know. Chala bread Charla Burris scholar comma bread thanks so much comma bread I like that so it got your most recent I'm listening to your most recent podcast <laughs> that was spot on <laughs> dead on dead on so I got that, and I thought it was—I I actually thought it was a death threat of some sort after reading that <laughs> message. I mean, now now think death threat and read just read that message to yourself again and yeah. see how I thought yeah. one of us was getting killed. Playback from two minutes ago—you can hear that. Um, here's what I have to say to Search Bar Chris, who called us out for not knowing the proper Jewish pronunciation of of chutzpah, right? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I'm going to say it's Search Bar Chris's fault to have that expectation of us. Because anybody that's listened to enough episodes of this podcast, not necessarily all of them, but enough, knows that I will not hesitate to mention that I was raised atheist. So I have no knowledge of um, Judaism, Christianity, Catholicism. I don't... Hold on a second, though. I don't think this is a religious thing. Oh, it's like a race thing? Yeah. (laughs) I also grew up around no Jews. Okay, well, there you go. There so you go. I did not, I was not exposed to the Jewish faith or the uh, Americanized Yiddish like language, right? Because that's essentially what we're talking about here. Here's the whole thing. I don't know, but we're going to get 12 messages. Correct. We're going to get, yeah. <laughs> we fucking called New York out on pizza and bagels and not a goddamn word. Can I- but we say chutzpah wrong and it's a fucking outpouring. It's an outcry. It is. Um, thank you to everybody who cared enough to let us know. So we always want to be able to, to, to know when we've done wrong. Rob likes to know. I don't care. Um, but you did mention New York. And I do want to mention one, one thing. Yeah, whatever. We talked a shit about New York. But did you notice where Rob Hart is not welcome on his reading, on his tour? He's going every city. Chicago. Yeah. He's banned Rob Hart for his commentary in uh, City of Rose. I think that's what I think that's what happened there. Yeah, Chicago said, you know what, fuck you and your... Rahm Emanuel was like, guys, listen, it's chutzpah. But thanks for pointing <laughs> out that fucking Rob Hart guy. He's not reading in my city. That's right. Rahm Emanuel, friend of the of the city and the podcast, right? Or no, should we not be yeah. aligning? Well, 
I, I don't know. Do we, we we try not to align ourselves? We don't want to get political. We, yeah. yeah. So might not be the best time to be team Rom. Fuck, listen, man. Being political right now, just just endorsing a candidate from the from the the, the circus that I've seen, just even endorsing somebody is a bad decision at this point, just because it makes you look foolish of picking picking that, the best clown. Yeah. That shit doesn't matter right now. Like, we could be like, I'll vote for Bernie Sanders, but only if his fucking running mate is a donkey. We are as politically, you know, like that's as you know that's as valid as any of the other shit that anybody's saying right now. Right. So yeah, what it comes down to is there are no good decisions in politics. That's what I. Well, what is that thing that I said a couple of years ago? Like we're going to continue being disappointed as long as we keep electing politicians. Yep. yep. So there you go. Yeah. yeah. What oh, else we got? See, we got anything else? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that might be it. Oh, you know what? While we're recording this, it's a holiday. It is a holiday. It is Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I believe the Super Bowl is over at this point. Um, Rob, would you like to know who won the Super Bowl? Um, do you know? Yeah, yes, I have the Googles. Um, it is uh, the Denver Broncos, um, 24-10. Now, <sighs> yeah. I understand you had a vested interest in this game, which was really unusual to me when you started talking about it, but it made perfect sense after after the fact. Um, yeah, to my, to the best of my knowledge, um, I had money writing on this. Um, I don't know, I don't know exactly how much money (laughs) or in what way I was going to win, but I did win some money on the super, super bowl, um, on a, on a, on a football pool, right? That's what we, you buy the squares. Yeah, yeah, that's I believe that's called a pool. Yes. So, um, is it is it enough for you to leave the podcast? Have you made enough money that you can retire now from doing this? Or no, it's actually I won what our our next milestone goal is two hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, we haven't made a lot of progress on that, which is cool because I had to do zero shopping for new t shirts and mugs. So oddly enough. <laughs> so here's here's what I'll say about Patreon and our milestone goals. You like how I kind of parlayed that over to our own personal interests well it's it listen we managed to weave ourselves into the thread into the very fabric of rob robert's memoir so that's i don't see how this is our transition shit that's a good point um (laughs) we do make everything about us if we ever if we ever get rid of the tagline um we tell you what to read we could replace it with we tell you we keep we make everything about us i like it all right, here's something that I want to say. So the $250 uh, thing that I that I mentioned a minute ago is once we get to $250 a month, we are going to uh, make T-shirts and uh, at, for, for anybody at the $7 level and T-shirts and mugs for anybody at the $10 level. So right now, because you motherfuckers have not gotten us to the $250 a month level... We've got, I'm going to count right now, one, two, three, four, five, six people who qualify to get either a, just a t-shirt or a t-shirt and a mug, and they're not getting them because you're holding back. If and you want, don't, don't forget, you and I would get t-shirts and mugs too, so you can yeah. invest in that list. Yeah. How selfish do you guys want to be, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would like to say that I don't look at the the Patreon stuff. 
ever. <laughs> um, but I did. I did just log in as we were talking about this. And we're not as far as I thought because the it's the process pledges, right? So right. Um, we're through 10. Um, I've been, you know, I've been looking at the 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 money that's deposited, which but is after the fact, yes, after they take their, you know, almost 10 percent out. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we're we're actually not that far off. So. Like I said, here's the nice thing about it. I haven't had to do a goddamn thing because we're not that close. So, you know, for me, it works out either way. It's just you guys not getting T-shirts and mugs. Yeah, if everybody here's the thing, like if the people who are not at the T-shirt level just kicked it up to T-shirt level, then boom, we're in production right away. Like we are $40 a month away from T-shirt time. We have, I don't know. Short time, I like that. You know what, Livius? I think what we have to do is we have to release some potential designs for t-shirts. Okay, we can do that. Um, maybe, maybe we release the sticker images. I like the stickers a lot, and that might get people thinking, "Hey, you know, does we? I would love to see that as a t-shirt." That's what I'm thinking. I'm not. 100% sure of that, but that's it's like an idea. That. We'll have to work on that. Maybe we'll do that through the listening group or something. Yeah, so uh, as an incentive, we might have to give you some of the designs of the stickers that we've made to see if you're thinking, oh man, that needs to be on a t-shirt. I'm going to kick up my contribution, or I'm going to get my cousin who has amnesia, or not amnesia, but like, you know, <laughs> doesn't remember shit. I'll get them to sign up. They don't care, but they won't remember it, so it's harmless, like that kind of thing. Whatever it takes. Listen, I just dealt with some potential credit card fraud. Sign up with someone yeah. else's credit card. Do Yeah, just do it. Yeah, because you know what will happen? Chances are they won't notice. And if they do, they're just going to charge it back anyway. Right. That's a victimless crime. <laughs> it's a victimless crime. So at any rate, um, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you guys will put me to work soon. Um, at this point, we're looking, you know, the earliest would be, well, the earliest we'd see, yeah, March 1st would be the earliest we'd get the deposit. So, yeah, we're still, you know, three weeks away from... Yeah, so take Black History Month, dig deep, throw some money at us. That's right. So our T-shirts are black. Yeah, it's the perfect time. I don't it all lines up. Me. I don't even <laughs> want to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm so fucking done. Oh, oh, that's going in the memoir. It's a little bit shameful. You, I gotta tell you, yeah. If I if I hate our <laughs> podcast. If there's one episode where I really feel a lot of self-loathing, it's this one. <laughs> like, holy shit, man. So appropriate. Um, it's appropriately timed. Yeah. So, um, hey, Rob, you know what's coming up in less than two short months? <sighs> two short months. It's the beginning of February, so March, April. No idea. April 1st. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about that. We got to talk about that a lot, man, because big things are happening April 1st. Big things are happening. It's uh, it's going to be um, our five-year anniversary. And if we time things properly, um, it'll also be our 300th episode. So we're ridiculously excited to hit those two milestones. Um, and uh, all I can say is, I don't know what we're doing that's so special, but I guarantee you our biggest episode ever. Because, fuck, we're so full of ourselves. How can we not go on for two and a half hours on, on, on those Yeah, hours? yep. So, um. We're, uh, we're 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 working and working towards um, getting some other people to participate. It should be uh, should be a good time. Um, set aside, take a day off work on <laughs> April third. Right. Something. You know, just take the day off work. 
Um, so you can listen to what could be the, the episode that breaks Rob's editing, like just breaks. Oh, him. good. Yeah. It's been like 18 hours trying to call together the 20 hours of content that, that we put together. So should I spoil anybody who we're going to be hearing from or no? Mm. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't even know who we're going to be hearing from yet. If we have official so, <laughs> two people I've talked to so far are very enthusiastic about doing something for this special occasion. And they are both authors. They're authors who have been on this podcast multiple times and people who are near and dear to us. So um, I won't say who, but it's going to be cool. Guys, I don't even know. I have an idea, but I don't even know for sure who he's talking you, about. You know. We talked about this. I know one. One of them. I know. Oh. Well, all right. Then the other one should be obvious. But <laughs> Yeah, I figured. All right. <laughs> um, no review next week. Next week it'll be uh, an interlude, maybe an interview. Who knows? But we will be back up um, next week. Maybe a day or two later than we normally are. We'll see. An, inter- an interview with Rob Roberts where we're just like, dude, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like to the whole conversation. Yeah, it's it's Rob apologizing and me going, holy shit, holy <laughs> shit, the whole time because that's kind of what I was doing. I was reading the book, so yeah. Until then, I'm Livia Snedden, and I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading.